Well, welcome to MatchCast. This is kind of a special episode because we're going to be introducing a new topic and a new, probably monthly or at least very often, a new sort of media that we're going to be producing. And it's actually going to be a video feed going through some of the different things that we look at when we first start working with a client or working with a potential client. We're doing a podcast today to launch that series. So Chris, can you kind of lead us into what we're going to look at? Yeah, for sure. This podcast is a little bit of a exercise for ourselves to think through the details and kind of put it out there to see if people have any feedback on what we're thinking of doing. But essentially, it's a very practical and tactical analysis of the bits and pieces of digital marketing that are sitting out there. When somebody contacts us about potentially work for them or something comes across our our inbox that a company that we're interested in, interested in digging into more, we immediately do all these things where we like, you know, look at the source code and see what kind of title tags they have on there for SEO purposes or tracking tags that they might have for marketing purposes and a bunch of different tools that digital marketers will be familiar with, like SpyFu and others, where we can find out how they're doing on SEO, what they're spending on PPC. And we kind of have this approach where we just really all dive into it really quick. And within five or 10 minutes, we're kind of looking at each other like, okay, they've got a great video. They seem like, you know, their Facebook page is pretty stale, XYZ, whatever the the insights are that we come up with. And we thought that it might be interesting to take that apart, be a little more systematic about it and share that with others. It really gives us a lot of insight into their marketing program, what they're doing now, what might be working for them, what might not be working for them and just their overall strategic setup towards digital marketing as things really hopefully kick off with that client. Yeah, and on that strategy point, something we'll touch on in this podcast and hopefully a lot in the show that we do is digital marketing in and of its nature is in order to be found publicly. So there's a lot of things that you can learn about a company's marketing just by doing these sorts of research that that we're kind of talking about. And there's a lot of discussion out there in our industry about going really broad or specializing. Do you want to just be the person who does PPC, for instance? or Just Facebook or just analytics. Just just analytics, just video, just mobile, just conversion rate optimization, just landing pages. There's so many different things that a lot of agencies do really well at specializing in. We've made a choice to be broader, and certainly there's areas that we're more expert in than others or we think are more impactful than others. But it really brings to mind this concept that I think Rand Fishkin from Moz first introduced widely, which is the T-shaped skills, T-shaped marketer, T-shaped marketing firm. And what it is, is basically across the top, you want to be broad, meaning you should know enough about all the different areas of digital marketing. You should know enough about SEO. You should know enough about PPC. You should know enough about analytics. And then you should be able to go deep in one or two or three of these areas. And so we have our own kind of developing thoughts about it. Some of it comes down to what we're particularly interested in individually. It can come down to our experience. Our experience it can come down to uh, hopefully what a particular client needs and really what's impactful in the moment. So we're an agency that kind of tries to be out more on the edge of things that are new and like Facebook Live. Like Facebook Live. You know, like Facebook video at this point. Canvas ads. Canvas ads, creating audiences out of people who've watched a certain depth of video, meaning if they watch 95% of it, you can put them into a different group. 
and market to that group and show them, say, a call to action ad. So those are examples of a couple things that we are kind of going deep on right now. But to get into the meat of it, why don't you uh, introduce people to how we start building so this list? We, so we built a list of basically 28 points. And these are things that we found ourselves doing anytime we started working with a potential client. We never formalized them and put them into a list, but they're all the things that we would look at when we put together statements of work for different potential clients. So we're going to go through that list, but we do want to make a really important point. The companies that we are going to be talking about in the video series, we actually do not work with these companies. We're actually just picking them out of the sky for a lot of different reasons that we will find interesting. And we think the analysis will be interesting to the viewer, but we don't actually know them. Uh, so it's important to note that while we're looking at a lot of different signals, it doesn't really necessarily reveal the entire strategy. Someone might not have a Facebook pixel on their page. And to Chris and I, that would seem like a red flag or very strange, but for them, it actually might have a point. There could be a very specific reason why a certain piece is missing from our list, and we might start to wonder why that's missing or speculate, but we don't really know. And it could be hidden from us. Right. So there's going to be a limit to maybe how deep we can understand everything, but the point is that it's very practice-driven. There's kind of a lot of theory and discussion in, in our industry, and this is about kind of something that a practitioner would do and something that you can glean a lot from. It's, it's kind of hard to reverse engineer strategy. It's kind of the nature of strategy that the tactics aren't going to tell the whole story. It's the kind of the tactics together and the reasons why, and then the goals after the fact. And there might be some reasons why a company is not, you know, running PPC ads right now when they used to. It's not going to be easy for us to know that without talking to them or understanding really the reasons right. why. So maybe a, a byproduct of this podcast and the show that we're going to do will be, we'll start to draw threads of, you know, what is strategy and what are the different things you have to consider when making a strategy just by our kind of struggle to reverse engineer it by looking right. at tactics. Breaking into those tactics a little bit, we put them into two different buckets. One is basically conversion, and one is basically getting more traffic to your site. So with that, we're going to dive into the conversion part of our tracking points, and I'm going to kind of introduce each uh, piece of the uh, bullet checklist, and then Chris is going to dive into why it's so important. Uh, so starting off with one of the things we deal with a lot at MatchNode, the Facebook Pixel. Right, so the Facebook Pixel, Facebook recently released a new version of the Pixel, say in the last six months, where they replaced the legacy one, and now you put this new Pixel not just on conversion pages, but on every single page of the site, and then can mark certain pages as conversion pages, like if it's a thank you page, for instance, you go into Facebook and you can, can mark that. So first thing we'll look for, and we can see this with the Facebook Pixel Finder, as well as by looking into the source code, is, you know, even if you're not running Facebook ads, you should probably have this on there. Right. And that's mainly because the Facebook audience insights tool is so powerful. And then if you're not running ads now, but you want to in the future, all this data is going to be retroactive as long as the pixel's on there. So say you uh, have some really popular blog post and you're not running ads, but you'll be able to in the future decide, oh, you know what? We've got a follow up to that blog post. Let's go back. Let's go target users from 180 days ago. Who saw the first version or whatever, and you can show it to them. Uh, you can show an ad, push that updated post to them just because they saw that previous page. So that's usually the first thing we'll add to a company that we're working with them, immediately get pixels on their websites. The next piece that's a little bit deeper within Facebook would be Facebook standard events. Yeah, so this would show a deeper level of ad sophistication. It would show that potentially a company is bidding on conversions. Brian, why don't you explain a little bit more about the uh, standard event? Well, the standard events are really used for one, bidding on conversions, two, Facebook analytics for measurement, which is really, really important that Facebook measures things a little bit differently than your Google analytics. And those standard events are going to be fired so you can look at your data a little bit differently to understand 
Maybe someone came from Facebook initially and then converted on your website five days later and your analytics is gonna show that as maybe PPC or organic or referral when really your Facebook ad initially at the top of the funnel caused that person to come down. And you can really see those events either in the source code or again with that Facebook pixel helper. Right, so that would be another signal to us that these people know what they're doing on Facebook ads deep enough that they're they're tracking outcomes uh, very likely. Continuing within conversion, and these are all kind of tracking points. You brought this up. Google Analytics, of course, we want to look and see that on sites. Almost everybody has it. It's been now a couple years almost, but Google migrated over from classic analytics to universal analytics. Now most people should be over to universal analytics. If you're not, it's the first thing to do right now. One thing we do often see is some people have universal analytics on their page, but they, they don't necessarily remove the old analytics. And we've seen that mess with companies' bounce rates and do some different things with conversion tracking as well. For sure. Some very often we'll see people with multiple analytics tags on there, and that's going to that's gonna throw errors and cause problems when you get into the nuance of trying to understand what's happening. Right. And going right along with it is Google Tag Manager. So Google Tag Manager gives marketers a place in the code within which all of the marketing tags will go. Google Tag Manager is on a site, and then we do start working with that company. We'll ask for access to that because we'll want to dig in, see what they have on their site as far as tracking tags go, and see if there's anywhere we can help or deepen or add anything to it. Right. And the next thing that goes kind of an offshoot off of Google Analytics would be people analytics, something like Mixpanel or Kissmetrics. And we did a whole podcast on the importance of people analytics, but let's touch on that real briefly on why it's a little bit different than the traditional analytics that people are used to. So Google Analytics is session-based. If Brian visits your site today on his uh, laptop and then he visits on his mobile phone you know, later on tonight and then tomorrow morning he checks it on the tablet, Google Analytics would count three sessions from three different browsers. Essentially, Google Analytics is really tracking browsers. People Analytics with these more advanced tools would have a much better chance of noticing and knowing that Brian is the same person across all those three devices. So that, of course, becomes really valuable when, say, you have an e-commerce business trying to tie together uh, attribution around the sources of all your traffic and how you're getting sales, and also, of course, reordering. You'd want to see that this same person who once bought on their mobile device six months ago today bought on desktop. It's the same person. That really makes a big difference for you to be able to understand why people are rebuying and who they are versus just having a traditional GA. And interestingly, if, if you're advanced and have Google Tag Manager, some of these other things are going to be hidden because they're within the Tag Manager container. Yep. Uh, the moving comes in a little bit of a different segment is more usability. And the first thing about usability that we really care about right now is mobile. For sure. Uh, still within the conversion world, uh, we will, on our team, we've got a lot of Android, but certainly some iOS as well. So we'll have you know someone with an Android device, someone else with an iOS, with an iPhone, take a look at this site that we're digging into super quickly to, just to see, is there mobile responsiveness solid? Is it working? Again, especially if it's e-commerce, we'll go through it. We'll add something to the shopping cart, see what that experience is like. Very often there's quick wins to be found just with some mobile optimization and a checkout flow. You know, a lot of times, sometimes people still rely on a little bit of an outdated mobile strategy and that they say they've got an app to take care of their mobile users. And that's really not good enough since the majority of the, your top of the funnel traffic is going to first come to your mobile website, not necessarily download that app. The barrier to entry of downloading an app is, is pretty high at this point. Very high. Very few people are going to want to download an app for a single purchase on an e-commerce site, for example. They're just going to want a nice, easy conversion uh, experience within the mobile web. Uh, so mobile responsiveness is important to have whether or not you have a native app. Sure. And that leads directly into the next 
piece, and that's site speed. And desktop site speed is important, site speed is important, but just as important that, or probably more important than that, is your mobile site speed. Right, so connections on mobile tend to be a little bit less reliable if you're walking down the street or on a bus or something. You might be going in and out of a place that has good 4G or 3G. People have very little patience on a mobile device for a page that's kind of hanging up. It's just one of the most important things there is in conversion optimization. I would say it's probably a little bit underrated. Kind of people who really know what they're doing will look at site speed right away. Like if you gave, I saw a blog post out there, like if you gave conversion rate optimization experts four hours on a site, what would they do? And someone was saying they would spend two hours just making the site faster. We've seen it work again and again. It helps with SEO. Google sees it as SEO signal. It'll help with your PPC because people won't bounce as much. It will just make your conversion rate go up. We've all had the experience of getting annoyed because the site's slow and then you just leave and it creates a bad, bad experience and a bad uh, vibe all around. So uh, site speed is a huge one uh, and one that is just like easy win right away. Get the site, site speed faster and then move on to kind of more maybe... Uh, you know, visual things in the in the checkout experience. Sure, this stat might be a bit dated, uh, but 40% of people abandon a website that takes more than three seconds to load. Personally, I think it's probably higher than that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we once had a client where we found that their site speed was really bad and, and it was a uh, e-commerce company and we you know, were trying to optimize and improve their conversion rate. And we were excited to find, oh, obviously, let's just fix this. And this will, you know, improve the conversion rate, say even, you know, 10 or 20% makes a big difference on the top line and the bottom line. And we were surprised when it was the first time this happened. And he said, no, I don't think that's going to make a difference. We're like, um, what? It makes a difference. It's going to make a difference. Please do it. And it did. Well, again, still staying within the conversion world, but moving into landing pages. One of the things we spend a lot of times building for our clients. And again, we've done whole other podcasts on just unbounced pages and why we like it. Yeah. So uh, this would probably be one of the depth areas of our T-shape as a firm, for sure. We spent tons and tons of time on landing pages, unbounce our uh, friends and partners of ours. And we really enjoy this part of the work. And it really helps conversion a lot when you have a specific landing page for each ad. A lot of times there's different concepts that might be tied to the different audiences that may be interested in a product. And so we'll create different landing pages for those concepts, making sure that the audience to the text that's in the ad to the landing page all kind of align and will line up for what's going to happen after the landing page, whether we're sending them to a product page or whatever, you know, the goal of the campaign might be. So the first step is making sure that each ad has a specific landing page, and that's really just sort of a checkpoint. But the next piece is a little bit more of a grade, and that's something called the attention ratio. Yeah, so this is something, I don't know if Ali came up with it, but it's something I first heard Ali Gardner talk about or have had him heard him talk about a lot at uh, different events, uh, including on our podcast. I don't know if he brought it up when he was a guest. But attention ratio is the ratio of things that someone can do on your landing page versus the number of things you want them to do on your landing page. The number of things you want them to do should always be one. It should be click this single thing, fill out this form and click, you know, submit, you know, click the button to go to the product page. And so you want a ratio of one to one. Um, sometimes that's a bit hard, but there's things like putting your social logos all over your landing page, maybe near your checkout button. So say you've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram buttons that take you to those various social profiles. And now 
Like the only thing you want them to do on the landing page is to, to do the thing that the landing page is designed for. But now all of a sudden, now they've clicked on your Instagram page and you may think that's great because you've got a great Instagram following, but now they're not going to go back. The overall chance of conversion is going to go down. Going to go down because they went somewhere else. So if you've got those three logos and then say some people will leave their header or footer because they want it to look like their website. Now you've got 17 places that someone can click and really only one place you want them to click. So that's something to clean up. The next four pieces are really mechanics of the landing page, and that's the forms that you're using, your call to action, the headline, and the hero shot. And those all really work together, and they also really do fall within that attention ratio. Right. So these things can be on landing pages. We could be looking at specifically someone's landing page, or else we might be just looking deeper into their website or sure. their checkout funnel and say, well, this form is really great or not or you know, these call to actions make tons of sense or not. How long is this form? Is it easy to use on mobile? The Hero Shot is a good one. There's a tool out there that uh, Angie Schottmuller developed that we've seen her speak a couple times as well, and we'll link to it in the show notes, but it gives you a very specific step-by-step. -step. This is what should be in the image that is drawing attention and really deepening the emotion and making people understand what it is that you do. For certain businesses or certain products or services, this really zeroing in on just getting the exact right hero shot. And she gives you a way of measuring that and of grading it. So, so we'll add that as well. And that's another thing we'll look into on the show. And the last piece of conversion is just a simple little trick within Facebook. And that's adjusting the call to action button at the top of your Facebook page. Right. So there's another one of those underrated things that Facebook rolled out where one day or week or month, they decided that they should have a different customizable call to action button at the top of every business page. Yeah, Maybe a like isn't the best idea. <laughs> yeah. So there's, you can basically customize what the button says. It can say, learn more. It can say, buy now. It can say, call now. And then, you know, you link or create the appropriate next step based on what that call to action is. And so we've had a couple of clients where, say, we're spending a lot of money on Facebook ads and we're not really building up their Facebook business page as much. We're trying to take them to the site or trying to take them to a landing page. And then we'll look. And so say we start, it's working. So we'll start spending a fair amount of money and driving a lot of traffic. And then all of a sudden we'll look in their analytics and we'll see like, of course you want to put the proper UTM on the call to action button on Facebook. And we'll see all this traffic coming from there and that's converting. So, And that happens mainly because someone sees a Facebook ad and rather than going right to that Facebook ad, they end up clicking on the page to find a little bit more about the company. Uh, that's not the majority of your traffic, but it is a decent amount of your traffic. So you want to make sure you've given them a call to action. For sure. Uh, well, now we're going to move into the second piece, which is traffic generation. And we're going to start with search. Uh, so the, one of the first things we do is we use a tool called SpyFu to investigate the overall search paid and organic of what's happening with a company right now. So this is another one that I think visually will make sense when we put in the show notes, screenshots of what this can look like. People might be familiar with it if you work in this world, but Essentially, you could take your competitors' websites, take your own website. Spife will be pretty good at picking out your three or four of your competitors. If you have you know, a real estate firm, it'll pull some of the biggest real estate sites. And, and it's and, going to show the terms that you're converting on or they're converting on or at least drawing a lot of traffic from, from both the organic side as well as the paid side. Right. So on the paid side, it'll, it'll estimate what the spend is, what your competitors are spending. It can show you their ads. It can show you, it gets really deep. It can show you keywords that you're bidding on, that they're also bidding on. So it'll show you like a Venn diagram of, of words that you're both bidding on. And then, you know, on the outsides of the diagram are, are words that you're bidding on that they're not and vice versa. So it can really, especially when you have an industry where there's four or five competitors that are doing a lot in this world, you can really quickly get an idea of what are the 
the really top volume and top performing keywords because everyone's bidding on them. Now, of course, those are going to be too competitive or extra competitive. So you'll have to remember that those might be more expensive, but it's probably because they're working. They show you ads, they show you the top uh, performing ads. So there's really a lot in here, um, both on the paid and organic side. And a cousin or, or spy for organic, I'd say on SEO, another thing we do right away is we look in, of course, places like Moz and other tools out there to see sure. what they might have going on from a uh, SEO standpoint. And then we just dive into the actual search engines and type in different phrases and start to see what comes up. And one of the first things we look at when we're looking at a Google ad that pops up is, are they using site link extensions and phone extensions on mobile? They can make a huge difference. For sure. There's things from location extensions to phone call extensions, like, like you mentioned. There's uh, a lot of new formats coming out from Google. Yeah. And we're going to be taking a look to see if they're utilizing those. So uh, through the process of this show, we'll try not to click on too many of your ads unnecessarily, but it may happen. And if we do it to you, feel free to let us know and we'll send you five or 10 bucks in the mail. <laughs> um, and then we also dive into Bing and that makes some people scratch their heads. But Bing is kind of sneaky in its market share out there at times. Yeah, I think a lot of people, particularly smart people who are savvy on the internet and spend a lot of time you know, in this world, might be underrating what Bing can do. And it's just one of those things that we just think you should test because uh, first, we'll build up an AdWords campaign first, assuming we're building a PPC campaign from scratch. We'll start with Google. Once you get uh, kind of a, a base lay of the land and you've made some very rough refinements, Bing has like knows what their status is in the market and well, has made a tool so you can essentially download your entire AdWords campaign upload it right into Bing. And then, you know, if nothing else, you may have a campaign, you just want more volume because it's working. Right. Go to Bing. Bing's going to be, I don't know, what do you think it is? Sometimes 30%. it's 30%. And so the other thing is that Bing is going to be a little bit cheaper. Competition's usually a little bit less. On a cost per click basis, it's usually going to be a little bit cheaper. Depending on your on your business, it may not convert as well, or it may convert better. There's I think the the very rough and, and maybe not entirely accurate accurate stereotypes would be that people on Bing tend older. They're maybe less savvy. They're less to... They could be using Cortana on their phone or even on their desktop. They really like voice search. The next two are brand name search, both organic and paid. Uh, obviously, almost every company wants to come up number one when you they Google themselves. That's pretty much 101. A lot of times that doesn't happen. Companies end up actually paying them, but sometimes actually companies end up doing both to just push their competitors that much lower. So we want to see how important is that brand name to that company to make sure they're always number one in search. For sure. An another signal. It's also uh, interesting sometimes when you just choose the name of a company or have a name of a company. You know, match note is not a common word. And if you Googled us right when we started, there were very few results. There's other companies that are named more of a common word. And therefore, you know, if your company's called microphone, there's gonna be a lot of things you're gonna have to compete against over a long to period of time. Amazon selling microphones. Yeah. When you search for microphone, you're gonna get an Amazon result with here's how you buy a microphone. So it's gonna be really hard for you to, to, to push that. And so that actually could be a reason to use paid search for your brand name. But organically, you're gonna have a tough time. The next piece of ads that we look at are retargeting ads. And those are really across the web, but then also within different apps like Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And this can be uh, maybe a harder one to find publicly if, if you're doing the sort of kind of audit or analysis that we're talking about doing repeatedly here. If you just have to click all over their website 
and uh, give it a couple days and see if the ads are following you around. We also like to do that for their competitors too. Yeah, for sure. And then take screenshots of them and just be sure that they do have retargeting set up, at least as far as you can tell. They may be not targeting you. Even if you're being retargeted, they may say, we want people who saw this page and this page or this page and they're a female, you know, over 50 or something. So again, it is not perfect, but it's a rough guide to finding out if someone's uh, using retargeting. The next one's something we use a lot. We feel pretty strongly about. We touched on in the beginning of this podcast as far as the power of video. At a minimum, most businesses, not all, but most should at least have a video or some video or, and again, it depends on the business, but we had a prospect recently that we just started searching around YouTube. We looked at Facebook. We're looking on their website, seeing what videos they have. We could see that they had a lot of really great videos and they, uh, we were able to figure out kind of who made them. And we knew that firm and we thought, man, they're, they've spent some really nice money to make some great videos here. But, you know, they had 200 views and 250 views and you could just tell that they were underutilized. So certainly something that we suggest to them and it would be, again, another signal. We're looking for these little nuggets where we could find a hole or a place that maybe quick we can wins. offer quick wins or good advice or things to get started with to get started working with them, either creating a new video for them or reworking some of the existing video footage they have into a more suitable edit for Facebook or Instagram or whatever we want to use. And again, it's just another signal. I think having a video anywhere on your website has been shown to just increase your uh, conversion rate. If nothing itself. else, a testimonial video is so easy to shoot and yeah. can be so powerful. The next tool we take a look at is BuzzSumo. Right. So in BuzzSumo, there's a lot you can do, but one of the first things we like to do is you just put the domain in of, of the company we're thinking about or looking at, and it will give you even for free, ranked by the number of shares on each platform uh, their most popular posts have ever had. So it'll be like on Twitter, you know, their most shared post they ever, most shared piece of content they ever had on Twitter, you know, had 250 retweets and this is the URL. And do the same thing with Facebook and, and the other platforms out there. So again, it gives you a really quick snapshot. Is this a company that has content that's being shared widely or not? And it may be super applicable and they, they kind of have a hole there or they're doing a great job and we know that and we know that their content marketing oriented will help us talk to them or they really haven't had much kind of organic social sharing period. So it gives us another really interesting signal. Sure, the next signal or point in the checklist that definitely isn't right for a lot of companies, but is a home run for another good segment of companies is affiliate marketing. And do they have that affiliate program in place? Yeah, and again, on the subject of the fact that all of this is public and marketing is about being found publicly and reaching more people, you can really just easily search for the URL or the domain of the company we're talking about and then affiliate or affiliate marketing or affiliate program and find out if they're willing to pay 7% for sales and if they're on affiliate marketing platforms. And if they are, and if they have an affiliate page on their site, it's an interesting signal. We're looking for a mix here of signals that then would give us some sort of a, a strong signal of like, ooh, that's one we should follow. So there are some e-commerce companies where say they have a video that's great and is very widely shared and their Facebook page is super active and you can see that. They're spending a lot of money on search and organically they're doing well. They have a strong business. We could kind of see that from all these signals. 
but they don't have an affiliate marketing program, we might say, that would be interesting. You know, at this point, you seem to have your checkout flow in pretty decent working order. You've got a lot of volume. There could be some sales here that are left on the table that you could get just by not even paying for the traffic, just by paying a uh, percentage of the sale. So that's one that's always easy to find publicly. The next one is just a simple social property check. You know, does your Facebook page look good? Is it active? Is your Twitter feed look good? Are you guys on Instagram? Increasingly more and more. Uh, are you using Instagram stories or are you on Snapchat? Taking a look at all those properties as a whole, and we like to really kind of think about them as a whole of, of which really make the most sense for the business, but also to try to think in terms of an overall grade of how are they using social. Yeah, for sure. Not every company should have all the channels, but you'll be able, again, depending on the business, to tell that they are committed to posting regularly and they have a good, you know, it's not even just posting regularly. It's more like responding to people. If, if you're searching on Twitter for them and somebody's reaching out and asking questions, would-be clients or customers, basically customer support questions, and they're, and they're not being responded to, that would be a, a sign that... Look at their at replies, make sure they're positive. Wrapping up our checklist is good old-fashioned email. The, yes. the original internet marketing tactic. Yes, and it's still powerful. Certainly last but not least, very far from least, you, you could argue that uh, it could be at the very top of the list, but most people have an email program and will have a, a place on their website where you can give them your email address because you want them to stay in touch with you. And so we'll fill that out, of course, and see if we get an immediate autoresponder, see if they start to put us in a a sequence of emails that we'll get over some days, just kind of how those look and if they're optimized and if they make sense. And, you know, we have thoughts that we've developed through experience about what the best way that different companies should use email, whether it's a super visual brand that you do want pictures or just a company that shouldn't waste their prospects time by trying to get them to read a super long email, just make it very short link to the content. So again, customized to the business that we're talking about, but email is a huge one and one that's really easy to see kind of what they're doing. So that wraps up our 28 point checklist. And we took a look at the different conversion pieces and the different traffic pieces that make up that list. And uh, like we mentioned at the middle, where these really start to intersect is the overall digital strategy. And we start to think about what pieces are in place, what pieces aren't, and how the strategy might need to shift to really optimize that business for growth on the web. It gives us a sense of what they're trying and what they're not trying. And, and then it can prepare us for a deeper conversation with them about why and why not. Strategy, like we said, it's it's imperfect. You can't reverse engineer a strategy just based on these tactics, but you can certainly get a really good sense. So I think that's going to be a thread that hopefully will weave through all of these shows that we do. And maybe as we go, we'll get better at it. Like here's the, you know, we're going to have 28 points and maybe it'll turn to 35 or maybe we'll drop it to 25 as we go. It's, it's going to be a fluid list, but I think by the end, we'll want to be able to synthesize and say, here's the three to five most important things that we can see here. And therefore, we have a hunch that their strategy is moving in this direction or is in this ballpark. Right. Well, that wraps up this podcast. That wraps up this uh, Facebook Live. Any final words that you want to say? No, thank you. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Okay. Well, we're super excited going with this, and we hope you'll be watching our videos as they go live. Thanks, right. guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.